I see my mic? Where's my mic not showing up there? Buddy. Uh, I can hear you. You hear me good. Okay, I you hear me. I see my green levels. I just don't want to peek. I had a little bit of feedback on that too. About like, you always like to peek. Yeah, well, you want to peek. You want to peek in the good way. You don't want to peek. <laughs> Isn't <that> weird <laughs> words like that? <laughs> like we would say, oh, that's that was bad. Remember when that happened? That was bad. Bad ass. Bad or good? Bad or good? Yeah, right. Killer. That's good. Oh, that's an interesting one. Killer. Killer. Yeah. Guess what? You know what today is? Halloween. Halloween. Today is All Hallows Eve. Now, there may be, you know, we, we're, we need to talk about this because um, we are starting to, to post some stuff on YouTube that people yeah. can actually see the podcast uh, right. in, in addition to hearing it. Mm -hmm. I don't use that much. I mean, I'm a huge podcast listener. I usually just listen. But we do have the YouTube thing up. We if do. someone were to see this right now yeah they would okay. see that mike anderson looks a little bit like willie nelson okay listen or <laughs> as this was motivated willie nelson's table guy willie nelson's table guy yeah there's a story do you want to you want to talk about it or not i shall i shall tell you okay tell me Willie Nelson's Table Guy. This happened to be via another podcaster, yeah, and that that our listeners may know by the name of Judge John Hodgman, the judge, the judge, the judge. Um, it's you know I'll I'll, I'll spare the, like a condense a story that the judge was doing a show in Atlanta here the other day. And I had I had met the judge on um, Friday. We Camp, went camping, camping together camping with night. another very close friend of ours, uh, and also kind of uh, you know podcaster royalty, Chuck Charles Char W. Bryant. Thank Char you, Chuck. Char Ch uh, hey, come on, yeah. Charles W. Chuck, Chuck Bryant. Bryant. Yeah, bro. To That's me, Chucky. You got I, I say Chucky as well. Sure. Uh, John Hodgman, first meeting Hodgman, you have this experience of meeting a person for the first time. He's doing a show on uh, Sunday, which I have to be forthright here that I had I had not even listened to the judge's show prior to that, which, by that way, that will segue into something we're about to talk about. But it just so happened that on Sunday afternoon, I get a message from the kind judge. Very fair, by the way. And his ju judiciating said, hey, do you have a Willie Nelson costume? I mean, who, who the hell asks you that on a Sunday afternoon? Of course, I don't have a Willie Nelson costume. No, I would say the opposite. Mike Anderson, if I was to call Mike mm, Anderson, very, I would go, yeah, he does have a Willie Nelson. Well played, sir, because in my mind, I said, of course, I don't have one. But at that simultaneously, I thought, I do have a bandana Yes. And I can potentially have a gigantic joint. Yeah. So Which I is, got two of the is, three it, things you, you need. You're half of Willie Nelson. You got pigtails, right? I got to come up with, what do you, you know, hang churros from my ears. Yeah. Right? So I I have no idea, but I go. I was already going to the show. I, sh I, I go to the judges show. By the way, um, our uh, dear friend, uh, Chuck Bryant, Charles W. Chuck Bryant was asked to also be musical entertainment and wrote an original song really? for the show yes for i didn't wonderful. know Chucky was so musical he, he is for john hodgman and uh his producer and bailiff uh jesse thorne uh -huh. um that was great so i show up and think about you only know john hodgman so much he only knows me so much we don't know each other I may know more about him. Why? Because of a certain amount of. He's um, a funny dude. He well, not just that he's a funny dude. There's plenty of funny dudes, but there's there's a certain amount of exposure, celebrity, influence, whatever that you have. Sure. That. Um, but who am I? He knows he next to nothing. Over this is the guy that I just went camping with. We had some laughs together, and I, you know, what am I? I'm not gonna give him my CV, my you know bio there with you know whatever. 
Okay, what are we doing here? You're gonna play, he just said Willie Nelson. Not Willie Nelson, but Willie Nelson's table guy. Now, I don't wanna say too much because I would like, you know, obviously people will turn into. <laughs> to, turn uh, into or tune into? Tune into, turn into, turn on to, tune into the John Judge John Hodgman show that I am Willie Nelson's table guy. So, okay. Now, you being a guy that has known me for a long time, it all evolves from there because people are like, well, do you look like Willie? Yeah. Or, or someone mentioned, you look maybe a little bit more like one of the Almond Brothers. Yeah, oh, I can okay. see that. I can so then see I started that. thinking about, here, here's my new character, Grabe Almond. <laughs> the, 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 like, kind of like the third Manning brother. Yeah, like, yeah, but like, he is. You're, you're not Dwayne, and you're not, uh, uh, God, Greg. Yes. You're, you're what, what was your name? Grabe. Grabe. Almond, like Grabe. the smoked kind, the blue diamond. Oh, so you're not an almond. I'm, you're not an, an, you're an almond. Grabe almond. <laughs> so here's the deal. Who cares that it's Halloween? I'm just wearing this all the time. I love it. How the hell are you doing? Okay, let's talk about I'm doing good. I'm doing good. As you know, we were supposed to be, you know, recording here like hours ago. And it's just, you know, we're finishing up Harvest, man. It's it's great. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really, really, really a good vintage. And I don't mean that. People say that everything's the best vintage ever. Mm -hmm. Mike, I honestly, I think I tasted the best fermenter that I've ever tasted mm. in my life. 27 years of doing this, this stuff from Pritchard Hill, you know, yep. where, where Oso and Hefe work with. Yes, beautiful. Yeah. my fun dog puppies that we need to have some, we need to post some photos. We gotta get them on. I, I got loving absolutely. dogs. So up there on that hill, this fruit from up there, one of the, the mm. best places in Napa Valley, these tanks were, I mean, sublime, man. It's like, okay. uh, it, it's so good. Anyway, I don't want to get into that because it's corny. It's too much wine talk. But now we're going to get into it in a separate, smaller episodes. I would yeah. like to, okay? Because as me, the novice guy that I think I, I mentioned on the last episode when we do these intros and have some kind of real time, what's going on? Mentioned how good the grapes were. Yeah. How the most delicious juice, juice. that I've ever. I think I said. So when you just said fermenter, yeah. Just very quickly, because again, we'll cover this in a in a shorter episode. What do you mean by that? What is a fermenter? No, no, no. That when you said that you tasted because I went there, I had some juice. Oh, that yeah. was a juice. Are you talking about well, this just is that? A, this is a finished wine. Okay. So it's done with fermentation. I'm I'm getting the 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 the, the wine is mm-hmm. on the the grape skins. It's Cabernet Sauvignon. It's in a tank. It's the, 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 we just put the grapes into the tank yes. and we fermented it for, you know, two plus weeks yeah. and the, the fermentation is complete. The wine is just a baby. I mean, we haven't even gone to barrel age and it's just a baby. It's just grapes in a tank that has been fermented and to open up that little valve and pour yourself a glass mm. and to be able to taste it. And, you know, I'm very forgiving of wines at that age. It's like, it could be anything. I mean, it's it's like like childbirth, right? You know, yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> your, your child, as much as you love Fee, when you first saw her at second one, you sure. as a dad probably thought she was the most beautiful child you've ever seen. Yeah. Hey, let's face it, you know, babies aren't that great. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so wine is a lot like that as well. When you have one that when you taste it on that, like, day one of uh, its birthday mm-hmm. and go, oh, damn, this is amazing. It's mm. like, wow. It's it's pretty cool. It's a great experience. It's really fun. It's very fulfilling. And, you know, who knows? We'll see if that, that kid... Um, turns out to, uh, yeah, you know, get through their teenage years and yeah, all they, the they, they might get addicted pain in the mass. assness they become. Yes, <laughs> drop out of school. Yeah, I don't show know. up at, at your house <laughs> trick or treating tonight. <laughs> you got to get to the finish line. Yeah. But anyway, it was a cool experience. I loved it. Wonderful, it was awesome. Okay. So anyway, hey, we um, have got to talk about our show upcoming. Yes, you know who we have. 
he is really special to the industry. And by the industry, I mean the, the, the creation of food, wine, art, community, yeah. culture. You know, that's mm -hmm. the whole thing. I mean, he's, he's really, really a lot about that. So that's yes. my scoop. He's a, he is, for the brief times of me meeting Matt Rorick, who is called Uncle for Uncle reasons. Rick. Uh, reasons I don't even know he is a spectacular human being and Absolutely. I think that that does come out in this conversation and then I hope it does as well uh, as people find out who he is um, through this conversation and then even beyond that okay well let's get into it then you want us let's, let's do it right now right now welcome to drop the check Today's guest is arguably the coolest thing to come out of Oceanside, California, since the saying, hang tin, dude. He's the winemaker from Forlorn Hope that perhaps gives us all hope. Let's give it up for a wonderful human being, Matt Rorick. It's a little bit weird that uh, we're here, that uh, I would consider you one of my greatest lifelong friends, and... Um, I cannot tell you the last time I've seen you in person. <laughs> same. I mean. I mean, same on all counts. Well, and, and uh, how long have you had your winery? Um, up in the foothills? Yeah. Eight years. Eight years. And I've never been there. <laughs> A lot of this is great, too, because it's self-indulgent for me. Because while we are great friends, there's a lot of your story that uh, I don't necessarily know. Or that I just don't remember. <laughs> that, that, that we probably have discussed over time, and it left my mind. So let's go all the, the way back. You're, you're born in San Diego, or where the hell are you born? Yes, born in, uh, in La Jolla, in San Diego. Uh, grew up in Oceanside, North San Diego County, um, on, right on the beach, um, just south of the Oceanside Pier. Um, great break. And I mean, literally across the street from the beach. So are you are you still surfing now? Because uh, <laughs> you don't live anywhere near the ocean any longer. So <clears throat> I def I still consider myself a surfer, and based on the tattoos. Uh, um, well, based on uh, Point Break. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the movie. <laughs> um, I, I'm la I'm also laughing because I, as I'm saying, I consider myself a surfer. My nephews. Actually, my second cousins <clears throat> are, you know, high school age. They surf. And, and are they, they in Oceanside? They're in Oceanside. They're yeah. living in the house that I grew up no in. No way. And I, you know, went down to visit them and some of the, my other, the other members of my family who still live there. And they were super excited for me to come surf with them because they're, you know. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm uncle cousin Matt to them because I'm their uncle, but I'm actually you know, whatever. cousin, yeah. whatever. So you're, you're my uncle. We'll get into that, but <laughs> uncle Rorick. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So I'm super excited to go down. Um, you know, they, they, they know that I've, like, I've ridden skateboards in the past and, uh, and surfed. And so, yeah, come down and come surfing with us and they lend, lend me a board, lend me a wetsuit. <laughs> We're paddling out and, I'm, you know, it's been, it's been a few years, but you know, I still, I'm still in my head. I'm like, yeah, no, of course, this is, this is great. Pull my groin paddling out. So <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. Didn't even get like, on a wave. Right. Pull the so, groin. so I'm out there. Like I get, we get out, we get out, you know, past the, the breakers and we're all, you know, sitting up and I'm, I'm puffing. And, you know, my, my nephews are like, yeah, yeah, you doing okay over there? And I'm like, nah, I can't. No, I, not I, really. I can't even, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to stand up, right? Because you, you've got to, like, all that energy comes through your legs. You push sure. up and pop up onto the board. And I'm like, I can't put any pressure on, on my leg because of my groin. That like, is unbelievable. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a real surfer. You can tell. Oh, my <laughs> God. I mean, it's, it's like the same thing, like, with, with me with skiing. And, you know, I, I used to be a decent skier. And then, you know, I took off many years, one, you know, not having the access to ski, and then secondarily teaching the boys to ski, my children to ski, and spent years teaching them to ski. Now they're fucking great, and I get left behind. 
And it's like, you son of a bitch, you know, I, I fucking, you know, tra- trained you guys and now you're going to leave old man in the dust. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a beauty. It's a cycle of life. Um, all right. So anyway, you're, you're, um, you're down there growing up in Oceanside across from the beach. Um, and, and, and I'll throw in too, that growing up in that part of California in the seventies kind of tucked between, I mean, San Diego wasn't a big, you know, it's a big city, but it was very sleepy yeah. in the seventies. Um, and it, but we're tucked between LA and sleepy San Diego. Yeah. So it's even more sleep. It was just this little this string of little beach towns. They're all still there, except they're just built out and developed. But it was a string of sleepy little hippie surfer beach towns. And, I mean, it was an amazing... It, I'm incredibly lucky to have grown up there. Totally. It was stupid. It was stupid glorious. Totally. Um, uh, I've had the good fortune of going to Granddad's house and, and um, where it is and seeing the old pictures and then I think I, I texted you. This is this is probably like seven years ago, but like you know, Oceanside's all built up around, <laughs> as I would say, the compound. Yep. And it's but the, the home is still beautiful and it's still there and wonderful. But you know, from the old pictures, like none of that was there. Like no buildings, no big hotels, no nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a difference. So, um, yes, so I grew up there, um, and, yeah, what comes next? Well, no, so let me ask you this, um, and, and, you know, this is how we do, we, we got to get a little bit personal or whatever. So, um, you know, I know your dad and met your mom or whatever, so um, they have you, little young Rorick, and uh, you're born, but did they stay together uh for any period of time or I guess one of the great things about telling your story is that you get to tell it in any Exa- way that you like. Oh, I was accused of this today <laughs> by Shannon, my ex-wife <laughs> and not in a bad way, uh-huh. but she was like, no, um, you recreate your, <laughs> I was like, I don't mean to. And she was not being offensive, but yeah, whatever. So you tell me the story of that that's in your head. Well, I was thinking more in terms of, um, shoot you know you know as you say you know, you know my dad and he's he's the kind of uh he's a kind of technology adopter that always surprises me and mm-hmm. you know I, I would not be at all surprised if at some future point he ran into you on the street and was like hey i listened to your i was listening to your podcast it's you know it was yeah. really cool yeah so uh, that's what's bouncing around in my head as I'm about to start telling the story. Well, you know, here, here's the thing. I mean, like, y- you got to, I don't know. And not that he would have any problem with it. Correct. It's just really funny. I'm wondering, I'm imagining his reaction to hearing my characterization of his romantic life before I was born. Isn't that the beauty of it all? Isn't <laughs> right. that the whole thing? I <laughs> totally. mean, God knows that my, my dad is nothing like the person that's in my head. And he would love the guy that I created, but he'd be like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. I never did that. <laughs> same, same. I remember when you, you know, saved World War II and you, you know, no, no that never happened. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, so I, well, the, like we go, I guess we could go to the point of conception. Yes. So your parents are clearly together at some point. I was conceived in Oroville. Okay. So my mom, when she finished, uh, when she finished up her collegiate career, um, she got a job uh, working in a uh, working at a uh, newspaper, the the daily, uh, whatever it is in in, in, or- Oroville. in Oroville, okay. right? And we had some family friends there, so she had a kind of a soft landing landing place there, um, and so she was working happily away in Oroville, and my dad had been. Um, he had been working in the financial industry in New York and was sick of it and mm. decided he was, he said, you know, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to fly out to San Francisco. Is he a New Yorker? Um, yes. He's a, yeah, East, well, um, East yeah. Coast guy, yep. Northeast Coast. And um, so he flies out to San Francisco and he's going to buy a bus ticket and then just go uh, take a bus to Vail and then be a ski bum and, um, you know, and, and get a job at a resort and just, you know, 
see what comes next. This is brilliant because this would be like 6970. Yeah. Yep. That's brilliant. So he get so he had met my mother in New York. She was on a trip out there with another friend. They had a, a mutual friend. Um, and so he flies out to San Francisco and says, hey, I'm going to, I'll look Sally up. Um, you know, I've only met her once, uh, you know, th- tangentially in New York, but it's somebody that I know that's between where I am and where I'm going. Sure. Um, so he hits her up and she says, you know, fall on through. That'd be rad. And did it, she say that'd be rad? <laughs> well, she is Californian. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she didn't say that. <laughs> she, she probably went something along the lines of, Dude, cha, 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 totally. <laughs> so he gets on the bus and goes to Oroville, and then they start hooking up, and then suddenly she finds out she's pregnant. Um, not part of the plan, not expected. And she kind of freaks out and splits and... Uh, and goes back to goes, Oceanside. Goes back to Oceanside, and uh, and my pops is like, "Well, dang, uh, this wasn't what I wanted. You know, this is what I what I envisioned. But like, we made a baby. Yeah, like, I really like you. Yeah, you know, like we're we're just getting to know each other still. But you know, shoot, now we've got a child. If you want to keep it, yeah. I'm I'm in. Let's you know, I'll get married. Let's start a family. And she told him to buzz off. <laughs> yeah, kick rocks. <laughs> Oh, poor Richard. Um, for the listener, by the way, I know your dad pretty well and, and love the man. So, And he's a great dude. Anyway, so she, she kicks him to the curb. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> it's not funny, but it is kind of funny. It's funny, it's funny when, you know, when, you know the, when you know some of the players. Exactly. <laughs> it makes the story great. Uh, so so that, all that is to say, that kind of also shaped my early years um, raised course. by a, a working single mother, um, although although she was really good about her relationship with my father, and um, from I think when I was four onward, um, he I started coming up to Northern California to visit him either summers or like right. I remember at four flying unaccompanied. All this, like got I got on a PSA totally. flight and yeah. all the stewardesses were all over me and yeah. I was just. Had a big, big dumb name tag around my neck, <laughs> but um, but you're you're so when um, you're you know growing up or whatever when when you're born you're an infant you're living at Granddad's house, right? And he's not inconsequential to this whole big picture. We'll get into that in a second, but um, just to clarify, so um, your your mom uh, is now living at Granddad's house, and you're there as well. And so um, let's back up for a second, too, because Granddad, let's explain who he is. He came from the East Coast and moved west to be a cattle rancher. Uh, so he, um, well, he, he was actually an Oceanside native, lived there his oh, whole really? life. Oh, really? Yeah, born in He Oceanside. was born there. Yeah. I did not know that. Yes. Um, he, so his father, my uh, great-granddad, Rorick, um, was working for a bank out in Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont. And the bank sent him to to California, to Oceanside, on some business errand um, to check on, I don't know, collateral or who knows what. Right. And so he he took the train out. And at the time, that was, I think that was like 1904. And uh, there was nothing there. There was like a, you know, a train station. Uh, The pier was there, but in a very different format. It was much, much smaller. Um, and not much else. And he got off the train and looked around, and the family lore holds that he got off the train and immediately wired and sent a telegram back to his wife and said, start packing everything up. You're coming. You're coming out here. I'm never going back. <laughs> and he bought a bunch of land all over Oceanside when it was just Nothing. sand. Yeah. yeah. And, and they did do cattle ranching didn't they no no he Why, so, see, is recreating history well, why the fuck was that in my head you, it, it gets there okay it gets there. okay okay and um so you're not completely creating okay. making it up okay um so great granddad rorick uh was always uh, he started well he was always into banking he was a lawyer um and so he started a law firm in oceanside um and 
married and had a son. That's granddad. Okay. My granddad. Um, and granddad, I think his father expected him to go into the family practice. Mm-hmm. Um, of law. Of law, yes. And so he went to Pomona and graduated and thought about law school. Um, and then his dad said, well, you know, we'll, we'll get you into the law school and get you, you know, you can come work this summer at the firm. And he said, you know, dad, I think instead I got this friend from school. His dad's got a couple hundred head of cattle and I'm going to go ahead and cowboy them uh, from their summer or sorry, from their winter pasture down in the Anza Borrego Desert up into, I can't remember if it was Nevada or Utah. So, yeah, so he got on he got on the horse and just did some cowboying. As we do. <laughs> and he loved it. I mean, the stories he'd tell me were, were, they were really cool. I mean, what a, you know, this is, this would have been in the, uh, what would I say? 1930s. Yeah. I will throw in a little, a little bit here about the location too, because uh, as you referred to it or before, you call it the compound. Yes. Um, just to give a, a proper picture, um, my great-grandfather, when he got to Oceanside and bought these plots of land, he then, not only was he a lawyer um, and worked in banking, but he could also build houses. So he built first first his own house, and then he had a couple friends of the family and told them, you guys got to move out here, built them a house. So those are the two houses Grant, that God, I grew up in, granddad's house and the, the house that I was in with my mom growing up. Okay, um, so you didn't live in the that house, right. granddad's house. You lived in the other house, which I've seen too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they're on the same. They're on the same parcel. Parcel separated by a, a common drive, um, with a with beautiful gardens in the back. Like he, it was and just one a, and one key feature, which was a huge wine cellar. Huge wine cellar. <coughs> um, additionally, and if we can take another slight segue. <laughs> ties back into again what you're talking where you're saying we uh, we recreate history um they filmed when they filmed top gun yeah the scene where uh where maverick comes to visit kelly mcgillis the original not maverick top gun yes, yes. top gun the original so he <laughs> yes he comes because up, totally he comes up the uh up the street sunset right behind yeah. him yeah. palm trees yeah. so that's that is the street that I lived, I lived on like right yeah. across the street from that. Um, and the bungalow that he pulls into that yes, McGillis totally. stays in. Yes. So I, for the longest time was under the impression that my great grandfather built that bungalow. Right. So when the, like we watched them film the movie on, sure. you know, on top of the garage, um, when, when all the development came to Oceanside, they picked that house up and moved it. It's now in front of one of the hotels on Pacific Street, and you can go. I think there's some sort of like a sweet shop or a dessert shop in the house, but it's the Top Gun house, and people come and have their pictures no taken way. in front of it. Um, and on this last trip down to Southern California, when I pulled my groin and couldn't actually <laughs> surf, um, I also, in talking to my cousin Lauren, was set straight. Great granddad did build one of the bungalows that was on that strip in addition to the, the Top Gun house, but he didn't build that one. Uh-huh. And for years, I'd been spouting absolute lies about that. <laughs> See, uh, everything we're saying here is complete nonsense. <laughs> we're, we're just making it up on the hip. <laughs> All right, so but this gets into the, the the nuts and bolts of things. So you're growing up there in Oceanside, and you're you're doing your thing, and um, you um, are in a pretty good place. But um, I don't know. You you let, let's be honest. You're you're a, a smart dude, but you got into mischief. You became a fucking punk rat skateboarder, right? So what was that about? What do you think now? Now so recreate history here. Mm-hmm. Are you think if you look back, were you rebelling against something? Were you just feeling the vibe, or were you feeling something that like I'm gonna be punk rock? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, 
I guess I can take, I can look back on it and try to figure out, try to, you know, kind of parse my motivations at that time. Um, I mean, because it would be very difficult to grow up um, white, smart, and privileged. So I, I could see how you would rebel against that. Totally rough. Sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the privilege was unbelievable. I mean, and to just be white and smart. God, <laughs> I, I feel for you, brother. So one of the things, I think one of the things that... Um, and male. And male. Jesus. Uh you know, my mother was not a, she wasn't a great disciplinarian. She wasn't a great boundary setter. And so one of the things I think I really, I mean, one of the things I really yearned for were boundaries, mm-hmm. were limits. And I, so I was looking for them and I pushed as hard as I could in whatever direction I thought would generate a response. Yeah. You know, like there, there've got to be limits. Like how, where, when will you tell me where's the edge? You need, you got to pull your shit together, you know? And, and then when she would do that, I'd say, okay, but I don't really believe you. What if I pushed a little bit more? Right. And then, yeah. Um, but then at the same, and you, and you also, you didn't have siblings and now you have, you know, tons of cousins and family members. They're all younger. So you're kind of solo kid. Well, and, and yes, I do. Well, I do have two half sisters, um, growing up with my mother when, she and my stepdad, Rick, had their daughter, Julia. You know, I was I was just hitting 12, 13 yeah, years old. Yeah. And so by the time I got, you know, it was heading into my prime rebellious years, they had their hands full. Totally. And, I mean, you Free couldn't have asked rain. for it. Yeah. Free reign. And then, you know, honestly, like, the, I mean, skateboarding to me, it was, I'm, I, I'm, I'm introverted. I'm gregarious. I love being with people, but I do great by myself. Same. And that was something that I could do that I could do with other people. I had friends that I rode with all the time uh, that I, and I really enjoyed riding with them, but I could also just go ride myself and by myself, perfectly happy. Um, So that, that appealed to my personality. Um, Which is also interesting though. Um, being a, a, a Georgia guy, a, Atlanta guy, you know, yeah, we were into, you know, skateboarding or whatever. Um, but, you know, it was, it was almost becoming a fad. You mm-hmm. know, it, it came, you know, Hawaii, California, you know, it took a while to get to the East Coast and, you know, whatever people around it. But you were kind of around a pretty strong, uh, not the complete origin, but original OGs of skateboarding. True. I rode with uh, with a, with um, a little uh, segment of the um, uh, of the Alva crew. Yeah, uh, great folks. I rode with Tony for a while. <laughs> one of my favorite memories of that is uh, you know one day, um, yeah, having a great time uh, at this backyard pool or is it a, an abandoned house? Um, <laughs> Which I just love again to me, like visioning California, like. In my head, whatever. So your abandoned house, <laughs> pool, the skateboard life. Skateboarding with, you know, like, you know, living legends from the skateboarding scene. And, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm a kid. I'm young. And these are these, you know, I'm. I'm but they're young, too. To, well, totally. I'm looking at them as adults, but they're probably like. 15. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, no. I mean, they're like 30. Oh, really? Like 28, 28, 30. And, and, okay. I, and I'm like, and I'm like. 12. Yeah, 19. Oh God! Yeah. I, I missed a whole scene there. Okay, I yeah. thought you were much younger. No, no. So you know, seeing that and just being like, oh my God, these guys have you know been doing this forever. They've been yeah, you know, <laughs> like yeah. they're much younger than I am now. But anyway, having a great day. You know, feel like oh my God, I've just spent this time. You know, so much time with this legend, this guy that I've looked up to as a skateboard rider for for so long. And then years later, he opened a shop in Oceanside of all places mm-hmm. um, that was in walking distance of my old house. So a I skate come down shop. to visit. Yep. yep. And so I roll into this little shop and it's just a, it's a small storefront where he's got, you know, some, some Alva decks and wheels, uh, some indie trucks, a bunch of, a bunch of clothing. And he's just got a couple of turntables and he's playing some music and he's just smoking weed There's big clouds <laughs> of smoke in there. And I roll in and I'm like, TA what's up? And he's like, can I help you? 
<laughs> you don't remember me? And, and yeah, right. So they, they have to laugh at that, right? Yeah. Like this was, this was such a memorable moment for me. And he was like, yeah, I was at the pool the other day, right? And it was fun. The pool was good. There's some fucking rats there. They're just, you know, exactly. little grommets in, up in my shit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, friends, Mike Anderson here for Drop the Check. Have you ever had the perfect bubble? I mean, what is the perfect bubble? Is it that one that you got from stuffing six wads of gum in your mouth next to the baseball field? Or maybe the ones that you blew for your kid's second birthday party? For me, it's probably the one that I stick over my head when someone asks me to be on a Zoom call. But if you really want the perfect bubble, try Topo Chico. Topo Chico is the best sparkling water because the bubbles are perfect. And if there's ever collaboration between Topo Chico and Pearson Meyer Wines, perfection times two. Topo Chico, the bubbles are perfect. Now, back to the show. At some point I realized that, I mean, I, I love skateboarding and I was good at it, but I was not great. And to make a living, to have a career in the So you, you considered this possibly as a professional. That's all I wanted to do. Right. I did not know that you, I knew you were good. I didn't know you considered it that seriously. I considered it seriously enough to take an honest look at my capabilities and realize that, <clears throat> I mean, I, I just, I, you know, I was never going to be a pro. So there were other options. And actually one of my, you know, actually my closest writing friend um, stayed in the industry. He ended up getting a job for the company for uh, that build that uh, used to build, maybe still do the ramps for the X Games. Yeah. So he was able, you know, he, he had an income. He had got a job. He got to fly all over the place, build ramps, test ride them. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, a great life. Yeah. Side side note, um, you know, I uh, was a pretty darn good uh, freestyle bike rider, which is. Total bullshit. I, I wasn't good. But in our small little enclave, um, we had some pretty good riders. And uh, this one guy, shout out if he'll ever listen, Brian Benson, um, he was clearly better than everyone else. And he got some sponsorships. I think CW Bikes, I think, sponsored him or whatever. And he was very, very good. And he just, you know, bikes was his whole life. And get this, the dude, um, I need to try to reach out to him again, but he was working at um, the bike shop on the corner of Golden Gate Park in The Hate. Um, you've, you've walked by it a million times. Yep. I don't know what he's doing, but he had this beautiful career in bikes, and that was his passion and love, and so cool. Kind of what we'll talk about why we're getting into what we do for a living, but what a beautiful life, and you, you don't have to be the uh tony hawk it would be great to be that but you know you could have a life and so you chose not to do that right and that's in that's a that's a you know quite a good um ob that's quite a significant observation uh, that did not occur to me at the time uh, for as much of a you know fuck up as i was i was also thinking you know i i, I was i was trying to think about my own future as well um you know, I totally could have ended up having a, you know, a perfectly good life and a happy career sure. if I would have just stayed in. Um, <laughs> I could have also ended up in prison. Yeah. Some, so Michael, you still might end up in prison. This is true. And some of my, some of my heroes ended up in, prison. <laughs> in the skateboarding world were in prison multiple times. <laughs> so there, you know, there's a little bit of self-preservation perhaps there as well. Like I got to get out of the scene. Um, and so I decided the best way to do that, um, it would be to just remove myself entirely. Um, and my, I, I, when I graduated from high school, I, I think I disappointed my mother to a great extent by, uh, informing her that I had no intention of ever going to college. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a she was a person of letters. She was and yep. And so, <laughs> To hear, to have me come to her and say, college just isn't for me. At that time, that was the kind of the most, I don't know, it's kind of like finger up in the air at you, you know, kind of way to piss her off. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, I think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like, well, sure, now plenty it's of not. People. But but uh, um, but going back though, did in your mindset at that time, 
was it that you just wanted to do your thing or were you, was that like a rebellious act? Like, was it intentional? Like she knew what you wanted to do? I mean, what, sorry, she knew what, God damn it. You knew what she wanted you to do. Correct. And you just weren't going to do it. Exactly. That's yep. right. Okay. Yeah. It, well, it didn't, it didn't matter what, if she had told me to not go to college, then you would have gone. gone. Yeah. Ex- okay. That's clarifying. Um, so a couple of years after I graduated from, so yeah, a couple of years after high school, a couple of years of skateboarding and kind of enjoying myself immensely, but realizing that it may be a dead end or worse than a dead end. Um, I decided that I was going to go to college, but that I was going to not ask her for financial help. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, a, a thumbs up. Uh, like, yep. what, what, what do you, what do you, base this upon <laughs> just a jackass well no there's not but see that's the whole thing there's not a there, there's got to be something deeper than that like that 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 you were this rebellious person when it comes to th- when it comes to this sort of stuff though um i think there you, you know you talked about me growing up um you know intelligent white privileged and male right. um there's always been an undercurrent for me of you didn't like that have it just wanting to go ahead and earn it, um, to not have it handed to me. Um, you know, whether that's just submerged guilt for what I was born into, um, or, you know, or just, I don't know. Who knows? Or wanting to go through the process and not, you know, not again, just not have it handed to me. Um, I, well, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think it, that actually comes with, um, the intelligence and awareness of like, being that type of person that's just innate. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you know, horrible word, but blessed with that, that awareness um, that it can be very, very difficult to deal with, but um, that, that's, that's your driving force, you know, and a lot of people don't, don't get that. Um, but um, so anyway, you're, you're, you're deciding that you're going to do your own path, but you skipped over my question which is your first restaurant job was before you go to college. No? Okay, then continue on. Unless you count the deli pickles that I made sandwiches at (laughs) high school. Okay. Uh, You know, I worked on the make line at Domino's in high school, too. Does that count? The make line. (laughs) Fucking slapping dough. Um. So yes, so I uh, so I decide that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, you know ask for financial assistance from. Uh, you know, from, from my mom. Um, and to do that, I decided to join the Navy for the GI Bill benefits, which will, which help pay for college when you get out. They don't completely cover it, but it's a, it's a good help. Yeah. So. And I you're ju- getting paid at being in the Navy. Yes. Uh, so join the Navy. I can't um, believe they accepted you. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, what a surprise! <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and 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 an even better surprise was um, shortly. I mean, like I think I was just like barely out of basic training. Um, you know, Desert Storm kicks off, mm. and Lord. I'm like, oh shit! Um, although I had chosen, I had chosen a rating in the Navy that would that would put me in essentially zero danger um i worked on submarine periscope so i was on a surface ship on a sub tender um that would we would have subs come into into the into the uh marina bot next to us if the scope needed a lot of work we just pull it right out of the sub and take it apart and mill parts fix it do whatever we need to do to the to the periscope so even though it was in during during the Gulf War, I was I was actually in Point Loma. I was in San Diego the whole time. Yeah, join the Navy, see your backyard. I well, yeah, I mean that was, that's well. I mean, yeah, but uh, uh, pretty cool and fortunate too. I mean, well, obviously San Diego is like Navy Central, but um, it's pretty cool that that you could be in your own environs and be safe and um, serve the country and do all of that and a cool creative job interesting the the way that yes to all those things except 
the reason that I ended up in San Diego, the reason I ended up at Subbase Point Loma was actually because I was trying, I was scheming, I was angling to go anywhere but. <laughs> um, the thing, so there are there are a limited number of sub bases yeah. uh, that the that the Navy maintains. Not around one, the in, world. not one in Nebraska. Um, well, they just shut it down. They sh- <laughs> very difficult to service. Yeah, yeah, access is really tough. Um, and some of those places, some of those places where the the U.S. Uh, maintains sub bases around the world are really kind of interesting, and so. I'm when I'm going through my the tech school for my rating. Um, at the end, you get to list your duty stations of choice. Well, you know, I think you can put five down. And if they can assign you, if they if they have a need, my my rating was called opticalman. It doesn't exist anymore. It's been subsumed into another rating, the instrumentman rating. Um, but if they had a need for an opticalman at that base. And that was your top choice. They'd send you your top, to your top choice. It's just like, if yeah. we can do it, we'll do it. So knowing this, I, I got really chummy with the guys who worked in the office at my tech school. You know, talked to them about how excited I was yeah. to, you know, get to work. And my t- like the choices, the top choices that I put down for my duty stations were, um, were Japan. Okinawa. Uh, or where was it? In oh God! Okay. And I'm not even going to remember the name. No, it's not in Okinawa. It, uh, anyway, I, I anyway, think it, of, it. of course, obvious, um, obvious. That's a huge base there. Yeah, right. And then uh, Sardinia and Edinburgh. So I'm like, uh, great. Any of those three, I'm going to be super stoked. And they send me to Point Loma. They send me <laughs> home. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. That's actually pretty unbelievable. I mean, I mean, I did all the work. I was trying to like charm them and like totally. you know, like hey, yeah, hey. <laughs> no. I mean, so. it would usually be the opposite where someone wants to stay here and then you get whatever. Right. Anyway. So, so you're, anyway. you're 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 there. You're in Point Loma, and how long were you serving? So I, I was enlisted for four years. Um, I was in for two when the Gulf War ended, and. The, the U.S., the, the government was wanted to downsize the military a great deal. They're like, we just spent a fuck ton of money over there. Um, we don't need to keep this giant standing army. So they came around and were like, hey, anybody, you know, does anybody want to get out ahead of time? You, know, you want an early okay. discharge? And I, w- I actually I have been discharges. having <laughs> uncontrollable. <laughs> Wilf. Will. Negligent. Will. <laughs> Willful discharge. <laughs> okay, good. So you were willfully discharged. So I no, I, I'd been having problems actually with my knee, and was in physical therapy. And they, so they just came to me and were like, "Look, um, we'll give you a, we'll give you a discharge because your knee's messed up." And yeah. I'm like, "Well, it's you know, it's kind of not." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, but look, if you want to go, here's a check. We'll give you a zero percent disability rating." which means in the future, if that thing becomes a problem, you can get it reevaluated, and then, then you can actually go to the VA for treatment. But right now, it looks like it's going to be okay, but we'll give you that 0% just in case, and you get your GI, ben- your GI Bill benefits. That's awesome. And I was like, hey, you know what? That sounds great. Um, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to go to school. So this was the first part of our two-part interview with Matt Rorick. And um, I think it was important. I think you felt it was important to get into the background of Matt Roark, his past, before we get into his current career in winemaking and what he's doing. Because I do think, uh, I, I can feel it with you that, that how important it is to you to where he came from is to how he got where he is now. He, uh, like I said, is a special, special person in my personal life. Um, you know, his, his winemaking, his creativity, he, uh, yeah, it's almost like it's, it's be above and beyond winemaking. He is a creator of culture and, um, you gotta try out his wines. It was Mm -hmm. just such a pleasure to have him on the show. Again, a very, very dear friend, um, Man, I, I just can't say enough. He's, he's the best. 
He's a great person. He's awesome. Since since the moment of recording this, there's been some also some awesome stuff that he did to give his yeah. time to go to Ukraine and stuff that we couldn't. Obviously, this happened before this recording. We will have him back on again to talk about that. But I only brought that up to say when you said his wine, he, he does something a little different with his wine. He's a little different. He's awesome. He's amazing. Oh, he's so, very different. Absolutely. So he's, <laughs> in the best he's, of ways, he's, he's very different. He's, but but no no no, I, I do want to hit on that the, about like his, that that's that. So what we do, we as winemakers, hopefully, what we're creating, it's just like creating a song or a piece of visual art. It certainly invokes um, who we are as people. And that is exactly, you know, Matthew's wines. The fact that he would go to the Ukraine over and over and over again. I don't know how many trips he's made. He's not political. It's not about that. It's about helping people again, about creating culture, creating culture. And that's yeah. what he does when he's creating his wines. He's creating culture. What he does for humanity is creating culture. And that's that's a very, very beautiful thing. So anyone out there, check out his wines for sure. That's right. And be careful tonight, which is now tomorrow or oh, the next day. Halloween. Or the next day. Exactly. How we go go. Hey, listen, what do they do in Napa? They just hand out grapes. <laughs> No, so hold on before we leave. I know we're over time, but this was always funny. So um, when the kids were little, and it's, it happens around, you know, every neighborhood in Atlanta or whatever, there's usually like a couple blocks or places where people like to go to candy, uh, to, to, to trick or treat for candy. And there is, uh, you know, one spot in St. Helena that's kind of a, a main thoroughfare that all the kids, you know, like to go to. And what's really, really great, though, and it is so Napa Valley, is the kids go up and people, you know, give out the trick-or-treats, but the adults have bottles of wine mm, okay. for the parents. All right. And so the parents get to trick-or-treat and mm. you literally go up with your glass of wine and they, they top you off. It's, it's pretty mm -hmm. funny. It's pretty cool. Okay, 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 I'll end it on this. Yeah. My character has now evolved from Willie Nelson's Table Guy to Grape Almond to Grape Almond. Grape Almond. <laughs> hey, friends. Thanks for joining us today on Drop the Check. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow Drop the Check on all of your podcast streaming services, Instagram, and YouTube. Or at dropthecheckpodcast.com. Special thanks to Heather Everett for producing this interview. Please tune in to part two of this interview with Matt Rorick, where we find out how a punk rock skateboarder Navy man becomes a winemaker and maybe even what that evolutionary experience tastes like. Tune in next time to Drop the Check with host Robbie Meyer. I'm Mike Anderson. See you next time.